Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us and listening to this podcast. Uh, no matter where you're at in your faith, whether you're a first time follower of Jesus or you're new to the faith, or maybe you've been a faithful follower for years, or maybe you're just checking things out still and you're not sure where you stand with Jesus or the church. And uh, I'm just thankful that you've decided to show up here and listen a little bit. And we are we we hope that you're encouraged by this. And also, one of the things that we talk about at Life Church is that you belong, no matter where you're at. Uh, in your understanding, in your connection, in your devotion to God. So thank you for joining us. Uh, In fact, we are in a series called This Is Us, a sermon series uh, where we've been talking about our codes. And one of those codes is you belong. And so if you didn't get a chance to go back and listen to that, uh, please do so. Uh, And I, I pray that you'll be enriched and transformed by that. But this series is talking about our codes. And that's this idea that we have a culture and we're talking about who we've been, who we are, and who we're becoming. Uh, And we finished talking about the codes, and so what we want to do now is talk about what it means to partner with those codes, partner with us. And so uh, our lead pastor, Nathan, gave a wonderful sermon about what that looks like, actually, to partner with us. And so if you listen to this message all the way through and at the end decide that you want to become a partner at Life Church, you can do that. Um, And so what we're going to do is uh, we'll provide a link in the show notes so that you can click on that and go to our Now page uh, where you, too, can sign up digitally to become a partner. Uh, But for now, enjoy the sermon. Amen. Give it up for Jesus. You can have a seat. Thank you so much. Man, it's good to worship with you online and in person. I'm excited that you're here. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors, and um, I I can't think of a better way for us to spend our time than thinking about um, Jesus and all that he has done for us, and I'm excited that you are here online and in person um, because it, it matters. It matters deeply. You just jumped in on a series called This Is Us, and we've been talking about all of our codes, which are on our wall, but hopefully they're starting to be in our hearts, and the code series has been incredible. I want to get to that in just a moment, but I have one thing I want to talk to you about. Um, what, whether you know it or not, uh, an election is coming, and most of us know it, maybe would wish that it wasn't here, and it's been turbulent, to say the least. I want you to know what we're going to be doing. I I talked about this in a video earlier this week, but I think it's important for every person to know that we care deeply about you and about what you're going through and about what's going on in our country. We're putting out a paper. It's a position paper on hot-button topics, and one of them is politics. We put that out in a couple weeks right before the election. And then on November 1st, I'll be preaching um, about the election, and I want you to know my heart and what it's going to be. I'm asking every single person to come and be there, even though it could be difficult, because what I'm going to preach about is about our unity in Christ, about what God has done for us and what he is going to do. We want to set up the church so that there is healing and growth in this season. And so the night before, on Monday night at 7 p.m. here at the church and online, we're going to be praying. What would it be like to get together as people who are going to vote differently the very next day and pray for the unity of the church? Well, I think it will be visionary and powerful. So I'm inviting all of you to be there. And then the election will happen, and we'll know 
something happened, and it'll be interesting. And so on the following Sunday, November 8th, the three teaching pastors will be up here on stage talking through questions you might have or concerns or hurts that you're experiencing or, or things that you uh, don't know. We don't know exactly what's going to happen afterwards, but I wanted you to know that we want to care for you and that I believe that God wants to bind us together in something that is greater than anything America can be, and that's Jesus Christ. And you'll hear a lot about Jesus and why He is so good, and you actually hear this message would be to convince you as well that you should be part of this and you should push in. I hope that God will be giving you wisdom and will be healing your heart and healing all of our hearts through this. Now, the code is, is crucial to who we are. It is. And uh, I, I have a question for you. Now, I'm going to ask the people in the room what your favorite code is. So you can all cheat and just look at the wall and pick one. And I'm going to ask you to shout it out in a moment. If you're online, I'd love for you to write down in the comments right now what your favorite code is. And I'm going to go three, two, one, and then everyone's going to shout it out. And you got to shout it loud and proud like this is your favorite code. Here we go. Three, two, one. Good. Okay. We got there. Well done, everybody. Hopefully, you'll be writing online. I, I asked some people this week what their favorite code was and why, and just incredible stuff. What was maybe, maybe not the favorite code, but your favorite sermon or favorite moment in the sermon? Like when I had a twin come on stage who I apparently was playing drums last week, um, you know, that was fun. Or when Daniel spoke in Yoruba, that was amazing. And, or, or, or when Jared came out with a giant coin he had made, I thought that was pretty sweet. Or when Ron came out dressed as a gorilla and did TikTok dances, gosh, that was a good moment. And for the people laughing, they've seen all the messages and know that that last moment didn't happen. And the rest of you, you have an opportunity to watch all the Code series. I know life is hectic, but I encourage you to do that. This is who we are. And so I'm encouraging you to find out. Now, what's a code? Maybe this is your very first time. You're like, whoa, what did I jump into? A code is a declaration. It's something that has meaning, and it gives meaning to who we have been. So it helps us understand who we were from the very beginning, our unique voice. But it gives purpose to who we are now. Don't we need that now? We need purpose. We need to know what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, and that's what it does. But it also, a code drives us to who we are becoming. And that's a beautiful thing, something that God is making. And even though our country and the COVID and, and all the things happening can feel like everything's going to dust and ashes, we just sang about how God makes something beautiful out of us and that's what this is us is all about. But a code, it doesn't mean anything if it doesn't produce anything. In fact, it means nothing if it produces nothing. In fact, I would say it could actually be detrimental. If when you walk through the doors someday soon or you're here and you walk in, the first thing you're going to see is you belong. And if we say that but we don't work on it and grow in it, then it could actually be detrimental it could be bad, and, and it doesn't have any teeth. It doesn't produce anything. It's like marriage vows that become nothing and irrelevant as soon as hardship comes or as soon as the children leave the nest, the marriage vows are now forgotten. Or like contracts signed for loans uh, that never pay out at closing and you actually don't get the house you were hoping to get. Or insurance that disappears when sickness comes, even though it was paid on time for years and years and years. But a sickness comes and then they drop you. That's what the code is if it doesn't drive us forward, if it doesn't mean anything. So today is about partnership and what it means. And I'm going to be calling every single one of you to dive into that. 
We learn from the Great Commission in Matthew that we have a job to do as Christians if we follow Jesus to make disciples. We also learned in Ephesians 4 how the church is supposed to function with all the different things that God left for us, specifically Christ. But in Ephesians 4.13, I want to jump back in for just a moment to remind us of what Jesus' hope is for all of us. Why did he leave this for us? A job and a way to do that job. Ephesians 4.13. We're supposed to do this until we all reach unity in the faith. Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Listen, this is my favorite part right now. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I want each of you to experience the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. But I have a question for you. Online, answer this. But right now, you need to answer this question for yourself. Are you experiencing the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Do you even know what that means? Are you like, whoa, I don't know. I haven't really thought about that before. Or yes, I am. Or no, I'm working towards it. Or no, I feel so disconnected from God. I'm not participating in his body right now. But to experience the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, it's beautiful. See, many of us, we, we think, oh, okay, you know, a, as a Christian, I say the sinner's prayer. I accept Jesus into my heart. We're going to have a moment to do that at the end. It's important. And then I'm done. I get to go to heaven. I'm now free from sin. And that is a very true thing. But when we limit what Christ has done to us to freedom from something, and forget that we have freedom for something, freedom for something to do, we miss the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you were made to serve Christ, later, that's how you were designed. You were designed to serve God. But we only accept that now we can know God, but don't try to serve Him and grow in that, then we're only experiencing a partial measure of not just Jesus, but of ourselves. It's not just freedom from something, but freedom for something. We are not saved to escape hell only, but to do something more. So what do I want for us today? What do I want for us today? My call is, for me is this, but my call for us is to engage the code, to engage it, to make it work for us, to do stuff with it, and then to experience the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, pay attention, students. We're talking about partnership, but partnership can be for students as well. In fact, I believe that students lead the way often in these kind of commitments. Our students did incredible things that were partners, including building that pavilion out there. There are incredible potential in you as a student right now. You can partner with this church as well. But before we go any further, I want to explain to you just for a moment how I have experienced a new measure of Christ. I think it's important for us. I don't always do this, but it's important for you to understand. So I'd like your permission. Is it okay for me to tell you a little bit of my story? Is that all right? Okay, good. I don't know if you had said no what I would have done. I probably would have been like, well, I guess we're done with the, the message. But um, many of you have heard the story about how uh, my first couple years of college were the worst years of my life. I mean, we all talk about, ah, oh, state's amazing. I also had like some terrible years there because of things that were going on in me. In fact, right now, emotionally, that year was significantly worse than 2020. Now, externally, 2020 is better for most of us, but what I was dealing with was difficult. Never understanding what anxiety was and now dealing with it, or depression, or having hardship in my life. In order to go to school full-time, I didn't get loans. They couldn't 
give me loans, but that meant I worked 60 hours a week to do it uh, and, and go to school full time. And then I didn't have uh, a place to stay. It, it's just, it was bad. I didn't, at times I remember I was driving somebody else's car because I couldn't even fix my car. Thank God I had it. And, and I was literally putting gas in the tank and I was trying to figure out how many gallons I could put in and still eat that night and still get to work to make money to go to school. It was a brutal time, and I was malnourished, and it was weak. And I told you a little bit about that story, how it ended with me questioning if God was real, crying on the floor of that basement apartment, and then God spoke to me. But I want to tell you a little bit about why that was such a unique moment. Because at that moment, that was the only time I heard him speak in like a three-year period where I felt his presence. Up until then, I was alone, and I only felt Jesus vicariously, that's a bad word for it, but like through the body, the church. See, it was part of a wonderful church. I had an amazing small group. Man, I was a mess. Imagine a young man who doesn't sleep much, who isn't eating well, who has anxiety and depression, and also is an extrovert and likes to talk a lot. The fondly call that my idiot years. And I remember being in a small group in this church and this man named Jimmy Wanzer, he loved on me. In fact, I talked about him in Multiplies as someone who discipled me and got me here. In my small group, I, I learned for the first time to listen for the Holy Spirit because he decided, hey, we're going to get together. This is a bunch of teenage, like basically young adults getting together and say, okay, today we're going to spend five minutes waiting in prayer and just listening to what God says. And then he worked our way up and over the course of a semester worked to an hour of silence with 25 young adults in a room listening to God. I had people use their gifts of, of, of generosity and wisdom and teaching and, and patience, all these different spiritual gifts, including prophecy, where a man said to me, and I'm an idiot at this point, an absolute idiot. I'm dealing with depression. I've got some sin issues I can't deal with. I don't, I'm too proud to even ask for help. And a man comes to me, takes me aside and says, man, I, I feel like God has given me a vision for you. And this man had already proven himself. I know some of you don't know about spiritual gifts, but basically it's this foretelling and it's also foretelling. But basically sometimes there's a vision given of what will happen. And this guy, he just had that gift. He couldn't deny it. And he came up to me and he said to me, and get it, I, I'm a hot mess, like a hot mess of an individual. And he says to me, I see you someday standing on a stage with lights and a microphone in your hand telling people about the hope of Jesus Christ. Right? No, no, it's about him, right? Right. Why, why do I share that with you? Because I didn't think anything of me, but the body of Christ surrounded me in that moment. And it told me what God had for me. Because there was, I didn't hear from God at all. And yet he was healing for me. And there was, there was hope in that. It was beautiful. I didn't talk about the fact that I didn't have any money, but you could just see it all over my face. Because a man walked, up, um, and my small group came up to me and he says, here, and he handed me a $100 bill. He says, you don't have to pay this back ever. You need this. I know you need this. I just wanted me to, I got this on the way here for you. And for me, holding a $100 bill in my hand, which I had never done at that point, it felt like $500 because you can buy a lot of ramen noodles at Aldi's for $100. And that's essentially what I ate. Now, we served too. We did. I served in the church with my small group. It was a beautiful thing. We did cool things in the church all the time, but we were also part of a homeless ministry. And that homeless ministry, we went to every single month, and we got together and made food and shared it to the people who could come. But then, then we got in a van, and we went out to five homeless camps in, in Columbus, and we served them. 
And I was so beautiful because you got to know their names. You got to know them. Many of them followed Jesus Christ. They would get together. And even though they didn't have anything, and even though I felt like I didn't have anything, I could actually have a roof over my head. And I was doing it all because I was moving forward. Where They, they were in this place where circumstances and mental illness and other things had caused them to be there. I remember the moment of serving and saying, this is so good for us to serve. And then we started to worship God together. And here I am at negative five degrees outside, literally freezing, worshiping God and watching people worship with abandon because they're so desperate for God. Formational to who I am. I learned to serve at church, but I learned to worship at church, to raise my hands. To, to, I know it's crazy. Raise your hands in worship, but it's a sign of, a, of, of abandon. Like, I'm just abandoning all my pretenses, and I'm just going to worship God. And in this crushing moment where I'm not feeling him move that much, in fact, I have darkness and frenetic anxiety and all these things kind of pushing down on me, and nothing seems right. Nothing seems good. And I lift my hands, and I worship, and for just a moment, I remember that God is bigger than anything I'm experiencing. And there's just this, this brief flash of freedom. But other days where I'm on my knees, I can't even worship. I can't even do anything. And having people surround me to pray and their voices lifted to who God is and His beauty because I couldn't do it for myself. I learned to give, to give to the church, to invest even I could barely get where I'm going. I still gave to the church. Why? Not because I was saying, hey, if I put this in, I'll get some back. Not at all. That's not the point. I said, because I know that the only person who is sustaining me through this is Jesus, and I don't really feel like it, but I'm going to because this keeps my mind focused where it needs to be. And eventually in that place with those people, I got better, and I received my calling to be a pastor. Not just from the guy who said, hey, I prophetically, I see it, but later, the church did it. When I encountered the body of Christ, I experienced a great measure of the fullness of Christ when I had nothing on my own. And so my passion and my heart and what I'm going to share for you comes from the fact that I would not be standing here, literally, but maybe I wouldn't even be here on this earth except for the body of Christ and all of who I am, I became in community. And I could never want anything more for you than for you, not to experience exactly what I experienced. I really don't want anyone to, but it'd be worth it if you could experience a measure of the fullness of Christ. And that's my heart for you. I want to share Colossians 1, 13 through 14, because I just shared a lot about me, and it's not actually about me. It's about Jesus and I want you to read this. This is really, really good, okay? Are you guys still with me? Are you here? Okay. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. Listen to this. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's Jesus. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see in these letters and what we see all over the Bible, it's just this continual focus on the body of Christ, on we and us, not on you but it's all about Jesus. Everything is about him. And I'm going to share the next passages. And if it doesn't make you just crazy about who Jesus is, you're not really listening. So I want you to be ready. Is it okay if I share with you how big a deal Jesus is? Is everyone ready for that? Good. Okay. If you're not, get ready. Here we go. Verse 15. Listen, listen to this. I can't even imagine what all this means. 
the Son, Jesus, is the image of an invisible God, of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, not only that, for in Him, in Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is above or before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. I could dwell on that all day. I could. He's the image of God. He's the creator of all things. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. We could not spend better time with our day than just talking about all that Jesus is over and over and over again. And we would not be done by the end of the day. And it should change us because when we focus on Him, we remember our place in it. The universal and cosmic significance of Jesus. All things are held together in him, and yet he came in person. He is the organizing principle of the entire cosmos. Let's let that sink in. And he invites you. No, no, no. He commands you to know him. To know him. To experience him. This is incredible. Well, how does he do this? Why does he do this? Got to read what's next. And this is the principal verse I want to explain to you today. Colossians 1, 18, first half of it. And he is the head of the body, the church. Man, sometimes we skip right over Scripture, don't we? We just keep reading. Yeah, he's the cosmic. Well, okay, he's cool. He's big. He's everything. We don't really sit and dwell on it. And then we skip over this. He includes all this huge cosmic significance, universal stuff big things, creation. And then he says this thing, and he is head of the body, the church. And you realize that it has as much significance as everything else that he had just said. It is his body. You know, I have a head and a body, right? And really, you don't really refer to people as just their head anyways. You're one thing. But in this verse, he's trying to explain that to them, that Jesus is the head. Often, we like to separate Jesus from his body, what do you mean? We often like to just talk about Jesus the head, like we beheaded him, and forget about his body because his body's kind of sometimes a mess, right? We're, we're kind of a mess. If his church is his body, nah, I'd rather just interact with Jesus only. And many people have done that. Many people have. But in the scriptures and in others, we see how ridiculous that is. You don't do that. You know, it's like we have a floating Jesus head around and we all follow him instead of realizing that he is part of the body, that he, we are part of his body. It's huge. Listen, unless it's Futurama or some crazy sci-fi, you know, we don't have floating heads. And we don't have a floating head Messiah. We don't. We have someone who has chosen to be the head of this church and the churches in our area. Like it or not, we must realize that Jesus is way bigger than we ever anticipated. And he has designed the church to be inseparable from him. Let me explain it this way. An amazing author, his name's Alan Hirsch, explains this passage in this way. Now, just let it dwell with you. This is no reductionist, privatized, Jesus-in-my-heart type piety. Here we are given a vision of the universal and cosmic significance of Jesus. Jesus is here worshipped as the organizing principle of the entire cosmos. He is also at the same time head of his body, the church. He goes on, listen. 
He so impresses himself on his body that it is impossible to separate the two. The Jesus who rules the universe is the Lord of the church. The church is not a mere historical effect of Christ. She is his fullness and his body. Therefore, to encounter Christ the head, one will need also to encounter the body of Christ, for they are indivisible. Let that sink in, the indivisibility of Christ. We don't just serve Jesus and ignore his body. I'm going to say something to you right now. Without participating in his body, you cannot experience Christ. What I just said probably rubbed some people the wrong way. Because in the last couple of, you know, decades, we've started to see our personal relationship with Jesus as something that's separate. I can just go and be with Jesus on my own. We've ignored the body. But I believe and see, and most of the people in the Bible would agree with me. I mean, all of them. Look at Acts and Romans and Hebrews and the other letters from Paul. There is no one person and their faith with God. It is always us. So I have a question for you. And I I challenge you to go read Colossians. I challenge you to go read Hebrews and Acts and Romans and look for this, which what you're not going to find is this personalized faith. He is personal. He is real. You can experience him every day. But it was always meant to be with the body. My question to you is this. After looking at the Scripture... Do you believe that you can have a private faith? See, it isn't just about salvation, but it's about a mission. If it was simply us getting saved and going to heaven, I might believe, I might believe that we don't need to be here anymore or need to be together, but it's not. Over and over again, we have a job to do. And he goes on in 18, picking up where we left off to tell us how. He said he is the beginning. He's talking about Uh, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, Jesus. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, to make things right, to make them good, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is what he is doing And the mission of reconciliation has been given to his body, the church. In fact, she, the church, is the primary agent of the kingdom. The kingdom of God when he makes all things new. That's you. That's me. That's us. We are supposed to reconcile. How ridiculous is that? Us broken, messed up, backfighting, infighting. You know, like we could be really big jerks to each other. And yet. God has chosen to use us. In fact, he left. He could have stayed here forever. And so he left. He said, no. Make disciples of all nations. You, the church, the body. Ephesians 4 and everything that we see written reinforces the need for the body to be prepared to get ready. Why? Because there is a song of reconciliation, of salvation being sung. Do you know that God is singing over you right now? He's singing over us. I talked about this at the very beginning. There's a song being sung over your community, over Detroit, over this church. And there are voices that are part of that harmony. And those voices are the churches in this area. And each of us have a part in the harmony. And if God's singing a song of reconciliation and he's called us to be part of it and we want to be part of the song, then we better be part of his body. It's such a logical progression of what God is doing. This is our voice. This is our part 
to play, and you will experience the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so everything we've done about designing partnership, which we've been in for a year, everything we've done about talking about the code, everything has led up to this moment where we believe this helps us see God move in a new way. So my call for you today is to partner with us and engage this code. Partner with us, us, everyone in the room, and engage this code and make things change. These are the commitments you'll make as becoming a partner. They position you to experience the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know that that's my heart for you? We were made to, like, figure out our life's work. We're supposed to have a statement about what we believe God has called each of us uniquely to do in seminary. And I was talking about it last night at a fire, and, and, and mine is to position people to experience the transformational work of the Holy Spirit. So everything I do is to position people in that moment, not to force them, not to create some kind of formula to make people change or to adapt to some kind of system. No, all the systems serve a purpose, a purpose of putting you in the place where you get to actually talk and experience God because that is your right if you believe in Jesus Christ. But most of us forget it. And all I want to do in worship, everything that we do, everything that I'm trying to lead this church is to this moment where you experience Jesus, that you encounter him and walk away transformed. And that's what partnership is all about. These six commitments go with our six codes to give them teeth, but also to position people to experience God and grow. They're the training wheels. These commitments are the training wheels to finding the balance and the rhythms of what it means to follow Jesus so that you can take those training wheels off and soar. Let's see what God can do. I don't want us to survive I want us to engage in the ministry of reconciliation. So I'm going to run through them really quickly because it's important to me. We're going to start, if you're following online right now at lifechurchcanton.org slash now, you can go to partner with us, and each of what I'm going to tell you about the commitments are there along with their corresponding code. I'm going to start at you belong, but there it starts with driven by new life. So you can scroll up and down if you need to do that. I encourage you to watch because I'm going to be asking you to make this commitment. The first one is you belong. You belong. If we are one body and Christ is the head and you belong to Jesus, you definitely belong to us. So here you belong. You don't have to behave a certain way and then believe a certain way and belong. You belong first. Then you'll start to believe and behave. See, belonging is for becoming, but if we switch those and try to make people become before they can belong, they'll never have the safety to open themselves up to be transformed by Jesus. And we know that. So you belong. Now, how do we partner with that code? I will join or lead a life group. If you didn't hear from me, I was transformed by a small group. It's where I found care and healing and growing, and so will you, and you can also lead people into it. So as a partner, you further the mission of Christ by agreeing to join or lead a life group. Second is encounter Jesus. Encounter Jesus, we already made a huge case for why that is so important. I want you to really meet him and, and be transformed. And so I want you to encounter Jesus, which means each of us will commit to these things. As partners, I will pray, study the Bible, and submit control of my life to Jesus to grow in my faith, to encounter Jesus daily. These disciplines, which I learned, actually help everyone. I mean, it's not like a new thing. Everyone can learn to do these disciplines. It's right in the scripture what he's called us to do. But these disciplines do that. Now, we like the first two, pray and study the Bible. But then submitting control, that one we don't like. 
That one is saying, in community, I will let other people call things out at me that need to change. And I will listen and be guided, not by a personalized faith where I decide everything, whether it's right for me or not, but by the body of Christ. Man, I know I'm poking some people right now. That's okay. This is the commitment you'll make. And when we do this, another measure of the fullness of Christ will be experienced by you and others. Relentless pursuit of one more. Arpum. You like that one? I like the, the alliteration there. They are, not alliteration. What's the word for that? Anyone in the room? When you take the word to cry, I'd be, someone said it. Relentless pursuit of one more. Jesus' heart for us is relentless. He'll never stop coming after us, and we won't stop coming after people. Not in a bad way, but like in a way to pursue them for Jesus. And a measure of the fullness of Christ is to engage Jesus' heart for the lost. One of the things I didn't share with you is I learned how to have uh, communication with people who are different than me. I worked at a place called Johnny Rockets. Anyone heard of Johnny Rockets? No? Okay. I had a couple people who learned about what Johnny Rockets is. There's one in like Cedar Point or anything. But essentially, it's like a 50s burger joint, but you had to dress up like you were in the 50s, and you had like little coin chasers and the white hat. You know what I'm talking about? It was a lot of fun. So it was kind of a themed place. But um, the deal was when certain songs came on, you had to stop what you were doing and dance a choreographed dance with all the other waiters, which I did. And uh, then you would get paid tips. So you could say I danced for money. Uh, I mean... I mean, it's technically fair, not exactly what that means, but yeah, it, it was an interesting place. So it attracted interesting people. I wanted because the tips were good. Like, I just wanted the money, but there are some people who went there because they actually enjoyed that a little bit more. Um, but, it, you know, so you meet all kinds of people. I remember specifically a couple of them uh, were on the weekends or the times that they weren't working, they would also be in drag shows. And lived that kind of life, and, and it was an interesting thing. I didn't know how to handle that, but I remembered getting to know them and sharing with them the truth of Jesus and loving them for who they were. That's a beautiful thing. Why? Because we relentlessly pursue one more for Jesus, no matter where they're at, no matter what's going on, no matter whether we feel comfortable or not. But we do that as a team. We do that with people. And so if you want to commit to this as a partner, Commitment that goes with this code is I will serve at least once a month at Life Church. Once a month, 12 times a year doesn't seem like much, and we'd like you to do way more than that. But this is what we're asking you to do. Now, even if you're online or you're in person or you don't feel comfortable serving in some of the traditional ways you may have think, there are always more ways for you to serve, even from your own home. So we encourage you to do that. All right, what's after relentless pursuit of one more? Someone shout it out real loud right now. Someone shout it out real loud right now. Great. Thank you so much for the person over here. I appreciate that. Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. Witwitu. That one's fun to say. You know, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, as long as, you know, it's convenient for me. No, we know that. We know that there's a cost. We know that this is hard. We know that it takes sacrifice. Now, this doesn't fully encapsulate all of what we want to see from whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. The outreach, the mission, the church plans, the things that we want to do. This doesn't encapsulate all of it, but it is so necessary for it to happen. So the commitment you'll make as a partner is I will give 10% to Life Church. And then grow in generosity beyond. Like I said, these are the training wheels. These are difficult. We're going to talk about the cost of partnership. But we have set this bar because we know what it takes. 
It takes so much. It takes so much of this one and the next commitment. To see God move in new ways, it takes finances, it takes investment, and I want you to grow in the freedom that comes from stewarding your life in such a way that you can give 10%. But that is just the starting place. See, I want you to have the freedom in your life so much and the dedication and have ordered your life that you can give 10% to your local church, Life Church being one of them, but then giving beyond investing in things that drive your heart forward, things that you're passionate about. And for those who can do this, those who have done it, they will tell you they never want to go back, that they love stewarding and being generous. And I want to position you to experience all of who Christ is and to experience uh, uh, position us to see God move in new ways. But the next one's just as important to that as this one, and it's multiply multiply. What does this mean? It means discipleship. When I say multiply, I'm saying discipleship. When I'm saying discipleship, I'm saying one-on-one, one-on-one interaction, one-on-one pouring into someone, influencing them for their spiritual growth. That's what multiply means. Because if we want to see God's mission move forward, we're going to need more leaders. If we want to see more small groups and church plants and mission and all those things, it takes mature people. And if we don't have discipleship, we're not going to have maturity. This week I prayed for each one of you. I prayed that God would begin to grow leaders within the church, not just bring leaders to the church, that we would grow our own leaders through our discipleship process. So multiply the commitment you make is I will influence one other person for their spiritual growth. That's discipleship, to live out the Great Commission. That's what I mean. Some of you are like, I have no idea what that means. That's okay. That's why the life journey exists. Life journey is an intentional process to help people learn how to influence others and how to do it in a way. And it does it progressively and helps you grow along the way. It's beautiful. You should sign up right now on the Now page if you haven't started that. And I believe that no matter what season you're in, you can multiply. Whether you're a student or whether you're, you're entering the last kind of phase of your life, we need people to influence other, others in the workplace and in families. We have a need for everyone to disciple, and it truly actually is the most important thing we can do, more so than what we're doing on this stage, is discipleship, and everyone has a purpose in that. Final one, driven by new life. Driven by new life. We do this in New Life Sundays. We see people um, uh, explode in, in transformation, explode out of the water in new life. We see people overcome sin over years. I know that happened for me and will continue to happen. We celebrate it because it points to God because only God can do it. And so driven by new life, the commitment that goes with that is I will prioritize the weekly gathering with my church community to worship God in person and online to glorify God and community to be surrounded by voices that unify us and don't tear us apart. The code means nothing if it doesn't produce anything, if it doesn't change the church, if it doesn't transform the way we think, the actions we take, it doesn't mean anything. And I want you to experience the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I've shown you in Scripture where I see this all over the place, an example of why we need to change and grow. I've told you about my experience and my hope for you, and I hope right now that the Spirit is moving in your heart because all of this has a cost. Every year we become partners. Every year we reevaluate re or re-up, and many of you will, but partnership costs something. We know we're setting the bar. We're setting the bar. Why? 
Because we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that it will position you to experience the fullness of Christ, to weather any storm in your life, including the one we're in right now. I want us to experience Christ. Now, some of us have kind of moved away from church. Why? Because we don't like it. It's uncomfortable. But I want to remind you that the physical body of Christ, of which we are the metaphorical body of Christ now, that his body was beaten and battered and bruised. It was broken for a purpose. And if we give up on community, the body of Christ, because things get hard, and the church body is, it's feeling beaten, it's feeling battered, it's feeling bruised, that if we give up on that, we're actually giving up on the experience of Christ. You know, Paul said, I want to I know Christ, his death and his resurrection. Many of us don't want to experience that. We want to be part of the head, but we don't want to experience the body. And pain has made us concerned. Why are we surprised by pain? This is what his, his body needs to go through for his purposes. As a church, we've gone all in on partnership. We've paid the price switching from membership a year ago, which many of you don't know anything about that. It's been difficult. We have decided that the mission of Christ is more important than our comfort, and so we have made ourselves uncomfortable to pursue it. All the staff and LT are all in. Many of you made a huge sacrifice last year to be a partner here. I'd encourage you to do it again, and some of you will do the same thing this year. As your pastor, I want you to go all into community because everything I became, I became in community, and I want that for you. What might happen if we started to participate in the body like he designed it? So my last question for you today is what are you going to give up? What would you have to give up to become a partner? So that might mean things like activities, things, and sports, and other things to be in a small group. Maybe it means giving up how you spend your time, spending more time in the Word than watching Netflix. Maybe it means changing jobs and changing focus. Maybe it means getting out of debt completely and ruthlessly eliminating extras in your life. Maybe it means growing in generosity. Maybe it means prioritizing the work of Christ and his church over nice and good things. It could mean lots of things, and it's going to take a sacrifice from you, and it should. It should. We should be stretched by what God wants to do in us. So here's the six commitments again, in case you got lost in the translation here. I will join or lead a life group to create community and belonging. I will pray, study the Bible, and submit control of my life to Jesus to grow in my faith. I will serve at least once a month at Life Church to reach one more for Jesus. I will give 10% to Life Church and grow in generosity beyond to move the mission forward. I will influence one other person for their spiritual growth to live out the great commission and disciple. And I will prioritize the weekly gathering with my church community to worship God, to glorify God together in unity. So we ask that if you want to become a partner today or in the next three weeks, you'll have three weeks to decide that you be prepared to fully live into this commitment by the end of 2020. You have three weeks to decide and three months to get in line with these different commitments of which we will help you do if you are struggling. And if you cannot do this, you belong. It's totally okay. There's no shame. 
My heart is that you will get there and that we need to help you get to that place. You can participate in as many of these as you can. You can serve here. You can give here. You can be a part of what's going on. You can get prayer from the pastors and call. You can ask for appointments. You can get married. You can get baptized. You can do so many things. I'll tell you what partners do and what they get to do, but you can be. You belong. You are here. There aren't going to be every person who becomes a partner because we have set this bar high on purpose. But we know that we can't just set a bar and not help you get there. And we want to coach you through that and help you mature and grow. And even if you're like, hey, I'm not going to do this one because I don't agree with it, that's totally fine too. But I want you to become a part of the life journey. Join the life journey and help yourself grow into it. As a partner, if you're a partner, you'll be able to serve in high-level leadership roles, people who, the leadership team of the church, the nominating committee who help guide our church if you're a partner. You get to vote on the lead pastor when my time is done. Hopefully that won't be, you know, within this year. Uh, you know, I don't have any plans for that, like whatever, but it's important. You get to vo- vote on the budget. You get to vote on major financial decisions. And my hope is that partnership grows over the next 15 years, that I would see it grow into this incredible thing that God uses. See, I believe in this church. I believe in this place. I believe in you. I truly do. And I want to partner with you. I want to be one of the ones who partners together to see what God can do. Because of this, we will see a transformation. So partner with us. Partner together. This is me. I commit my family to this. This is us. The leadership team and staff and many others have agreed to do this together. Add your voice to the song. Add your voice to the harmony. Stretch yourself to see what God can do in you. I'd love for you to partner because I believe it will drive the mission forward and allow you to experience something new of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ which is why we do all of this. So this is how you can do it. Within the next three weeks, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org slash now. Encourage all of you to do that right now. And you can go and see Partner With Us. You can go on there and see, and you could re-up if you've already been someone who's been a partner. You're just re-upping your partnership for one more year. And if you're someone who is ready to partner but hasn't gone through our class, you'll be able to do that as well and sign up there. Each individual, students, spouses, you need to partner for yourself. So we don't just do a whole family. It's, it's one at a time. And every person has decided to do this. I encourage you to do it. As we finish right now, what we do to encounter Jesus every single week is we invite people to experience him for the first time, to choose to follow him. And so I want to do that with you right now. Can we all stand? This is why we exist, to see people come to faith and grow. Maybe you accept Jesus for the very first time today. I hope that you will do that and then join the life journey and move towards partnership. But more important than all of those things, those man-made things, is to encounter the Savior who loves you. So I want you to pray to him right now. God's here. He's in the room. Maybe if you're watching this online, he's with you too. Even if you watch this later, this is not time-sensitive. God is timeless. So I want to encourage you, if you're hearing my voice, to close your eyes for a moment, to center yourself and to listen, to realize God is here. And then I'm going to lead you through a prayer with him, acknowledging your need for a Savior and choosing to follow Jesus so that you can start that first step 
towards wholeness, healing, and purpose in Christ. We'll start by acknowledging our need for a Savior. And you can do that with me out loud or in your heart. God, I need someone to rescue me. I have a price on my head that I can't pay. But Jesus, the author of creation, everything created in him, came as a, as a man, fully God and fully man, and, and lived a perfect life so that he could die and pay for my imperfect life. I can't understand that fully, but I can choose it. So today, I choose to follow Jesus, to lay down my way and pick up his. And in so doing, be made clean, perfect, and even righteous in his eyes. I choose to follow Jesus for the rest of my days and to see what he can do through me as part of his body, the agent of reconciliation in the world.